Welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Neighborhood Church. We pray that you be blessed by it. I kind of like donuts. Now, it's not like I'm crazy in love with them, but I kind of like them. And, and part of the reason why I only kind of like them is the way donuts are made today. Um, the way, when you go to Tim Hortons, the way they make those donuts is they make them in a factory, millions at a time, flash freeze them, load them onto trucks, ship them across the country, and then they thaw them out on demand. So they're always freshly thawed out. Okay, whatever works. You know, I mean, they're okay. They're okay. Um, but there's another donut store I've been to. And it's a crime. There's, they're so rare in Canada. But they're called Krispy Kreme. And if you go to a Krispy Kreme store, let me tell you what you're going to see. You're going to see this big donut machine, making machine. And there's a plexiglass sort of a wall there so you can watch it, the donuts being made. And what you're going to see is they've got the, the donuts are, are, are formed. And then as the dough rises, they go on these little elevators. You know, and then just right when the dough is just perfect, they get dumped out into this little river of oil. And it's kind of like, you know, inner tubes down the creek. And they kind of go down. And then they hit some rapids. And then they flip over and cook the other side. And then they wash up onto the donut beach. And they slowly go up in this little conveyor belt. And they, then they come to, and this is the best part. They go through the icing sugar waterfall. And then someone picks them up, puts it on a plate, and hands it to you. They are so fresh and so hot, they melt in your mouth. I tell you, it's a truly, it's a spiritual experience. Um, you'll have one of these donuts and you swear that, yes, God is alive and he loves me. Um, they are amazing. And when they have this machine on, it's not on 24-7, but when they have this machine on, and they turn on several times a day, there's a big red hot donut sign that they put in the window. Well, I know of another pastor who lives in the States. When he sees that red hot donut sign, he believes that is a sign from God. Um, and so he'll come in and like, oh, we, we need to stop and get some donuts. Well, one night he and his wife were driving by, and the donut sign isn't on. But they thought, oh, we're feeling a little bit peckish. And even if the donuts you know, are a couple hours old, they're still pretty fresh. Let's go and get some donuts. They walk in, and the donut machine is actually on. And they're feeling like, wow, we just won the donut lottery. And uh, sure enough, the donut comes right off the machine, you know, gets put in a box, handed to them. Oh. And, and he says to the gal working there, he says, you just got to know, um, you forgot to turn on the hot donut sign. And she says to him, I never turn on the hot donut sign. Whenever I turn on the hot donut sign, a whole bunch of people come wanting donuts. Now, talk about missing the point, completely missing the point. Lady, literally, donut shops exist for one reason, and that is to make donuts for the people. Like, that's why donut shops exist. Her job that she gets paid in money for literally is for one reason, and has to make donuts for the people. Like, that's why she's here. 
But somehow she forgot about that, that I'm supposed to make donuts for people and think like, no, the job exists for my own convenience. This is for my own mean. And you know what? Making donuts is a hassle and giving them the people is a hassle. Again, totally missing the point. Well, this isn't the first time someone's missed the point of the whole existence of things. Back in Jesus' day, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus explodes onto the scene like a firecracker. Now, Jesus, he's like 29, 30 years old, so like most of the worship team, like that's what Jesus looked like. So Jesus is on a scene as this young man, and he's traveling from town to town to town to town, and he preaches like no one's preached before. He's a captivating preacher. He preaches with authority. People are on the edge of their seats to listen to what this guy has to say. He's amazing. He's electric, and they don't even know what electricity is yet. Um, he's amazing. And not only does he an amazing speaker, but he lays hands on the blind and the blind see. He lays hands on the deaf and the deaf hear. He lays hands on the crippled and they begin to walk. It's jaw-dropping. And the news about Jesus spreads throughout Galilee, town to town to town. Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard about this guy named Jesus? Well, back at his hometown in Nazareth, they've heard all the buzz. And it's like, our Jesus? Like Joseph and Mary's boy. Really? He's gone and made good. He's really, our Jesus is doing this. Well, I mean, he was a nice guy, but like, really? Wow. Well, the day comes where he comes home and they want Jesus to be a guest speaker at the synagogue. And man, let me tell you, the synagogue on that day would have been packed. Like everybody's going to be there to listen to Jesus. And so when Jesus comes up, he asks for the scroll, scroll of Isaiah to be read. And he reads this scripture verse. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and he says, and you could have heard a pin drop, and he says, this scripture is being fulfilled now. Now, understand how they would have felt. These are people who've lived in a country that have lived under the boots of foreign oppressors for generations. Whether it was the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Persians or the Greeks. And when they fought, sometimes they fought it and they've set themselves free, but it's another oppressor puts them down. And for the last 100 years, the iron yoke of Rome has been upon their necks. They've been oppressed. They are not free. And only four miles away from Nazareth was another town that protested against Roman control, and the Romans came in and slaughtered them. Every single person in that room would have known somebody who would have died in that slaughter. They knew what oppression felt like. And these are people who would have been praying, desperately praying, God, send us a savior. 
Set us free. Send us a Messiah. Send us the coming King so we can be free at last. And when they hear about Jesus' miracles and Jesus' power and Jesus' authority, and then he reads this to them and says, this is starting now. That the time that you've been praying for, for freedom, for the blind to see, is happening now. The people were overjoyed. And they're talking like, can you believe it? This is Joseph's son. And everybody's speaking, well, this is great. And then Jesus says to them, I know you guys have heard about all the miracles I've been doing in other towns. And you're waiting to see me do miracles here. But remember, there were a couple other great miracle workers in Israel. Elijah and Elisha. There were a lot of needy widows in Israel, but Elijah helped the foreign widow. There were a lot of lepers in Israel, but Elisha healed the Gentile leper. Once again, you could have heard a pin drop. And then the sounds of outrage. How dare you mock our pain? We are the chosen people. He's our God, not theirs. God is for us. God's blessing is for us. And now you're telling me that the time of the Lord's favor is being poured out on outsiders? On those filthy heathens? I won't even walk on the same side of the street as those people. I would never have them into my home. And now you're telling me that God's love, God's favor, God's freedom is going to be given to swine-eating Gentiles? How dare you? We're the chosen people. We're the chosen people. We're the chosen people. And they rushed the stage to kill Jesus. Now, I don't know if Pastor John has ever preached a message that kind of annoyed you. Um... But when was the last time you literally rushed the stage to try to kill the man? <laughs> That's how mad they were. They were outraged. We're the chosen people. What they forgot is chosen for what? What was the reason for the very existence of the nation of Israel. What were they chosen for? And if you read in your Bibles, they were chosen to be a light to the nations. They were chosen so all the families of the earth would be blessed. You read your Psalms, they were chosen to proclaim God's love and God's goodness and God's faithfulness to the world. That's what they were chosen for. But they had forgotten that and thought that they were just chosen for themselves. Just like that gal at Krispy Kreme thought her job was just for her. She forgot it was for other people. Now, it's easy today. Well, I mean, 
That was 2,000 years ago. We're very different in the church. We would never make that mistake. What our church is chosen for? Why do we exist? Now, in my job, I travel from church to church to church. I'm in a different church every single week. And my job is to help churches thrive and grow again. And the common disease I'm seeing in church after church after church is a common attitude. I call it the preference-driven church. That is, our preferences is what drives the church. So it kind of looks like this. What color are we going to have the new carpet? Well, the color I want. Well, the color I want. Nope. What kind of music are we going to have? Well, the music I like. No, the music I like. No, longer, shorter, louder, quieter, smoke, no smoke, lights, hate, no lights, brighter, darker. What kind of preaching are we going to have? What preaching I like? No, the preaching I like. No, we want more prophecy, end times, doctrine, theology. Me, 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 me. How do I know my pastor's doing a good job? Because he's doing things my way. How do I know my pastor's doing a bad job? Because he's not doing things my way. This me, me, me church, this me, 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 me religion, this attitude spills over and infects our spiritual life. And how could it not? So if God answered all of your prayers right now, this instant, whose life would be affected other than yours? Me, 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 me. We're Pentecostals. We believe in healing. That's good. But there's a big difference between the way we practice healing and the way Jesus did. If you open up your Bibles and you read your Gospels, Jesus spends most of his time out there healing outsiders. We just want healing for us. This me, 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 me preference church, that needs to die. Because, and here's the whole cold, hard truth of the matter is, God will never bless your church. He only blesses his. And the me, 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 it's all about me and my way. God doesn't bless that. Well, why do we exist? Why did Jesus create the church? What's the thing we're supposed to do? Why are we here? Well, Jesus said that, something called the Great Commission. And Jesus said, why are we here? We're here to go and make disciples of all the nations. That's why we're here. Have you ever wondered why you weren't taken up to heaven as soon as you accepted Christ as your Savior? Just like like a vacuum, just kind of... Why are we still here? What is it that we can do here that we can't do in heaven? We can sing in heaven. We can pray in heaven. We can bask in his glory in heaven. We can love each other in heaven. What can't we do up there that we can here? That. We're here to help people find and follow Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. We need to be not a church that's driven by our preferences, 
but a church that's driven by our purpose. Well, what does that look like? What color should we have the carpet? Well, what color is going to reach Saskatoon? What kind of music should we have? What kind of music is going to reach Saskatoon? What kind of preaching should we have? What kind of preaching is going to reach Saskatoon? When I pray, I want to pray for Saskatoon. When I heal, I want to heal Saskatoon. It's a total 180-degree change in our hearts. Or instead of it's all about me, it becomes all about him and the mission he sent me on. This is about deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. That is what this is about. Now, I'm not, I don't want to offend anybody what I'm about to say, and I'm not trying to make a joke. But I was born and raised in the city, and country music isn't really my thing. But if it was what's going to reach them, I'd buy the hat, I'd buy the boots, I'd get a belt buckle the size of a dinner plate, and I'd do country music. Because I am all things to all people, so that by all possible means, some might be saved. Paul said, to the Greeks, I'm like a Greek, and to the Jews, I'm like a Jew. And if you read your Bibles, how did Paul treat those two groups differently? And he did. When he's talking to the Jews, he's like Mr. Super Jew. Oh, yeah, I'm Mr. Super Pharisee. And he's quoting the Old Testament left, right, and center. But when he's talking to the Greeks, he doesn't mention the Old Testament at all. He starts talking about things from their culture and from their poets. One of the greatest missionaries of all time was a man named Hudson Taylor. Of the hundred million Christians in China today, almost all of them are spiritual descendants of that one man. What did he do? Was he the first missionary to China? No, there's lots of missionaries went to China before him. But those missionaries would go to China and they would say, we need to civilize you before we can Christianize you. So first, you need to learn how to dress like a white man. And then you need to put away those silly sticks. This is a fork and this is a knife. And oddly enough, for a civilization that's been around for 2,500 years, they weren't really receptive to that. But when Hudson Taylor came, he understood clearly that the gospel wasn't British. And so he got rid of his British clothes and got Chinese clothes. He dyed his hair black. He grew it into a ponytail. Because in the 1800s, all Chinese men wore a ponytail. And he went inland. And he didn't bring a bunch of European instruments. He used Chinese instruments. He didn't bring a bunch of European melodies. He used Chinese melodies. Because he clearly understood, I'm all things to all people, so by all possible means some might be saved. To the Greeks, I'm like a Greek. To the Jews, I'm like a Jew. He understood it wasn't his preferences. It was the purpose. That is why we exist. We need to zoom out and remember the big story because we've lost the plot. Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. Why does the human race exist? Why did God create humanity? He created us for friendship. Friendship with God, friendship with each other, and friendship with creation. Literally, our species was created to take care of the planet. Chapter 3, 
we rebelled. It's going to be about us now. And friendship was replaced with conflict. Conflict with God, conflict with each other, and conflict with creation. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself. That was his mission. And if you cheat and look at the last chapter, the last book of the Bible, what do we see? Is restoration of that friendship. Friendship with God, friendship with each other, and friendship with creation. Everything's made new. We are here to be part of that grand mission of Jesus, that cosmic mission. Jesus didn't say, admire me. Jesus didn't say, study me. Jesus said, follow me. On this mission of reconciling others to God, reconciling others to each other, and reconciling others to creation. That grand, heroic mission of reconciliation. It is one of my deepest convictions that the Christian life is supposed to be one of consequence. That we're supposed to live lives that matter, live lives that make a difference. On the Sermon of the Mount, the most famous sermon in history, who did Jesus say was the light of the world? He said, you are the light of the world. He said, you are the salt of the earth. We exist as a church to participate in this grand mission. Where there is hatred, we will bring love. Where there are wounds, we will bring healing. Where there is rejection, we will bring acceptance. Where there is revenge, we will bring forgiveness. That is why we exist, and that's what we need about, because that's what Christ was about. And Christ's church needs to be going about Christ's business. Well, what about you as an individual? Why do you exist? Why are you here? We live in a world where the world tells us who we are. The world sometimes tells us that you are what you own. And if you own lots of stuff, well, then you're a somebody. And if you don't own very much, you're a nobody. I have a truth to tell you here. You are not what you own. Well, the world tells us you are what you do. So if you're a doctor, a lawyer, you're a somebody. But you work retail, you're a nobody. You are not what you do. Well, the world tells you, well, you are what other people think of you. So if everybody else likes you, if you're popular, if they think you're young, if they think you're pretty, if they think you're successful, then you're a somebody. And if people reject you, then you're a nobody. You are not what other people say you are. Well, the world says, well, then I must be what I think myself is. So whatever fantasy I imagine when I look in the mirror, that's who I am. I'm a boy, I'm a girl, I'm something in between. I'm, I'm a human, I'm a cat, I'm a whatever. Whatever I think of myself, that's what I am. Now, you aren't even what you think you are. Who are you really? You are what your creator says you are. And what does your creator say you are? We find this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is what God says about you. You are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ, destined to do great things. 
You are God's masterpiece. Now, some of you might know that the, the New Testament wasn't originally written in English. English didn't even exist at the time, but it was written in ancient Greek. So we're translating a Greek word into English. And the Greek word behind masterpiece is the Greek word poema, from which we get the English word poem, poema, poem. But poema has a much broader definition than, than the word poem. Poema could be a poem or a song or a play or a sculpture or a painting. Even a great work of architecture could be poema. Poema is anything that a master craftsman would be proud of. That is who God says you are. You are his masterpiece. You are someone that he's proud of. You know, sometimes we know that God loves us, but we really don't think he likes us. He loves us because he has to. He's kind of like a big brother in space. Yes, I love you. I'm sorry. When we think that, we miss our Father's heart entirely. God not only loves you, he actually likes you. He says he would choose to be your friend. But you say, well, how could God be proud of me? I'm a screw-up. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. I'm doing things that I'm ashamed of. There's failures in my life. I'm not very pretty inside. And you know, and God, he sees all that. But God says he is the potter and you are the clay. And he's got you on his potter's wheel right now. And yeah, he says, I see the flaws. But just wait till I'm finished. Just wait till I'm finished. You are his masterpiece. You're not done yet, and I'm not done yet. But just wait till he's finished, because he's promised to make something beautiful out of your life. Created anew in Christ, destined to do great things. I believe we were created on purpose for a purpose. Our lives have meaning because our lives have an author. God created you to be that light in the world. God created you to be the salt of the earth. God created you to live a heroic life that where there is hatred, you will bring love. Where there are wounds, you will bring healing. Where there is revenge, you will bring forgiveness. That is what your destiny is. That is why you were created. God created you to do great things. Now, what's great in the eyes of man isn't always what's great in the eyes of God. I was talking to a friend of mine, Dr. Earl Covert, and he said, John, if all the medical doctors in Canada disappeared, just like that, over the next 12 months, thousands of people would die who would have otherwise lived. But he says, but if all the garbage men in Canada disappeared just like that, over the next 12 months, hundreds of thousands of people would die who would have otherwise lived. What's great in the eyes of God isn't necessarily what's great in the eyes of man, but God created you to do great things. Heroic acts of love, heroic acts of grace, heroic acts of forgiveness. Where there is rejection, you will bring acceptance. Well, how does this happen? How does this happen in your life? It's right there in the middle, created anew in Christ. 
That is what empowers all of this. Well, how do we make that happen? Well, I don't know if you're new to this or not, but if this is your first time in church, you came on the right Sunday because I'm going to explain the deal. Here is the deal. Every single one of us have screwed up in our lives. Every one of us. Yeah, 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 there's people out there who say, yeah, I've never done anything wrong in my whole life. I have no regrets. Okay, we've got a word for those people. It's called psychos. They're not smarter than everybody else. They're morons. We've all screwed up. We've all done things we're ashamed of. But sometimes we're hoping that, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know I've done a lot of dumb things, but if you weigh out my life, my good deeds versus my bad deeds, I've done a lot more good deeds than bad deeds. I'm probably good with God, aren't I? Well, it doesn't actually work that way. And it doesn't work that way in heaven. It doesn't work that way on earth. Like if I'm caught speeding, I can't say to the police officer, yeah, but look at my good deeds. No, you break the law, you become a lawbreaker. In Canada, the Canadian Criminal Code has 800 laws. It's not good enough to say, well, judge, I kept 799 of those laws. No, you break one of those laws, you're a criminal. And even the one law that you broke, you can't say, hey, I keep it 99% of the time. Seriously, 99 days out of 100, I don't kill anybody. You're not going free. You break one law once, you become guilty. That's true in every single court in Canada, every single court in every single country in the world It's like that. Why would we think heaven would be any different? We've all messed up. But because God is a God of love, he sent his own son that although we did the crime, he paid the fine. The punishment I deserve, the punishment you deserve, was given to him instead. Your name and my name are written on those nails in his hands. That through what he did, we could be forgiven. But the story doesn't end there, and the story can't end there. Because my problem is bigger than my past. It's not just that I have screwed up. It's I am a screw-up. Even if you forgive me, even if you give me a clean slate, I'm just going to mess it up again. Because it's not just that I have sinned. My problem is I am a sinner. I don't need just a fresh start. What I need is a new heart. And that's why the story does not stop on Good Friday with Jesus on that cross. Three days later, Jesus rose again. We don't serve a God who's dead, but a God who's alive. And he didn't just save me from a life of sin. He saved me for a life of impact. He's not just my substitute on my, that cross. He's my substitute within. And he gives me that new heart. And he saves me for something, not just from something. That's what the Christian's life's about. Now, I'm going to give you a chance. We're going to pray a prayer in just a minute that will change your life, that will change your destiny. Now, this isn't some kind of an incantation. We're not casting a spell here. I'm not a witch. Um, 
We're talking to a God who's actually already here. And this is what we're going to say to him. We're going to say, God, I've been going down my own road. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my destiny. I'm living my life the way I want to. And we're saying, God, I'm abandoning that road. And I'm going to follow you instead. Jesus, even when you lead places that are scary, even when you lead places I don't understand, I'm choosing to follow you. I'm taking my whole life, my hopes and my dreams, my sorrow and my shame, and putting my life in your hands. Make me into the person I was meant to be. And when you pray that prayer, this God, who's this theoretical entity a million miles away from you, will come and meet you and know you personally. We know you enjoyed this teaching from the Neighborhood Church from our Pine House location here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. To touch base with us from anywhere in the world that you're listening, or maybe you're just at the gym or in your car, you can text the word Pine House to 306-800-5296. There you can fill out our digital connect card. Or if you want to give it a distance, or maybe you've been working weekends or just can't make it to the city, text the initials TNC to 705-230-8977. Through that little portal, you can give or tithe or even give to missions. For any more information about The Neighborhood Church, you can check us out online at theneighborhoodchurch.org. God bless you and have a great week.